this more tonight. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I really love that song, Behold Your God, Seated on His Throne, High and Lifted Up. Um, when we have a high view of God, we have a right view of self. Um, tonight, we're going to learn about a group of individuals who had a low view of God. And in result, well, we'll see their result tonight. If you take your Bibles tonight and turn to Exodus 32. Exodus 32. You know, God wants the very best for our lives. I know that sounds cliche and that sounds very uh, like a prosperity type of uh, gospel, but it's true. God wants the best for His children. And sometimes that requires waiting on Him. uh, The wait on the Lord. And what does that mean? Whenever it's mentioned in the Bible that we're to wait on the Lord... Uh, it simply means the word wait has the idea of a waiter at a restaurant who simply waits on those who he is serving. He is constantly making sure that, that their, their cups are filled, that if they need anything, they're there ready to serve, ready to pick it up, ready to go. And so that same idea is carried over when it says the wait on the Lord what do we do? It's not that we just sit around twiddling our thumbs and, and just hope that something good happens. It's that we're continually serving Him. We're continually doing what we know to do today. The children of Israel in Exodus 32, they are in this predicament. They're in this position of waiting on Him. Um, a little background to, to where we're at up to here in Exodus 32 the children of Israel um, are there at the bottom of the mountain waiting for Moses to return. Moses, for the past uh, eight or nine chapters or so, has been with God up on the mountain. And God up on the mountain has been teaching Moses. He has been giving him the law. He has been instructing him in how he should set up the tabernacle and how things should run. And even up to the point of uh, the robes that the priest should wear. I mean, very detailed information that he is giving Moses up on the mountain. Well, in the meanwhile, down below, the children of Israel are starting to panic. Uh, they're starting to wonder, okay, is, is, he, is he even coming back? Sometimes God asks us to wait. And sometimes that's hard to do. Um, just simple. Um, <laughs> driving around here. How impatient. You know, I'm, I will admit, I am not a patient person sometimes. Especially when it comes to driving especially when it comes to driving in Albertville. Um, we, we live just right down Main Street, and uh, just a straight shot down. And I was thinking, you know, this is great. You know, we're going to get to church in no time. I mean, it's just a straight shot right down Main Street, 205. It's going to be a breeze. A little that I know, these stoplights take forever. I mean, sometimes you're there, and it's just, is it going to ever turn? And it's the times when you need, I need to hurry up and get somewhere. I need to hurry up and get to the church. And sometimes we can be impatient people. And it's just a small, that's just small things. Um, here's another scenario 
that maybe you found yourself in. Have you ever been sitting in a waiting room of a doctor's office for an hour? Sitting there for an hour, waiting to be seen. How did you respond? I got three scenarios, or maybe multiple choice, A, B, or C. A, you're grateful for the chance to catch up on the 1993 Reader's Digest. B, you tell the other patients you have a very highly contagious and fatal disease in an attempt to empty the waiting room. Or C, a little more dramatic, you force yourself to hyperventilate to get immediate attention. Um, now, these are just simple things that we battle each and every single day, uh, simple things of waiting and having patience on daily tasks. But sometimes, God asks us to wait on more serious issues. Um, God may ask us to wait if you're a single person and you want to, to, to get married. You want to find that special someone and may, God may have you waiting. Or it may be that you're a couple who's desired to have a child and, and day after day, week after week, prayers go unanswered and you're forced to wait. Or it could be that you're trying for that job just to pay the bills and week in and week out and, and then a month goes by and it's soon, here comes a year and you're praying for God to move and for God to do something great and you're waiting. God calls us to, to certain things and certain times and seasons of waiting and it's important that our response be the rightest response in those times unlike the children of Israel here in Exodus chapter 32. Let's begin at verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this, Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in your ears and your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat, to drink, and rose up and play. Um, we see here a very sad scene in Scripture. Uh, as we're looking here, there are three things that stand out to me in these six verses. And we'll go on to talk more into the story. But the first six thing, or three things that stand out to me is, is one, that they were motivated by fear. Uh, the very first verse here says, The people saw that Moses delayed to come down. Uh, the people did not know what was going to happen next. They had no clue. Uh, they, they had just not recently, not long overcome a battle with the Amalekites. And so they don't know, is there going to be another attack? Um, or is, is the food going to continue to come? Is the water, what's going to happen? Our leader is gone. 
Fear can sometimes motivate us to do some things that obviously goes against God's will, things we shouldn't do. When we, But God calls us uh, to have not a spirit of fear, it says in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, of power, of the self-control. He, he, he's given us those things and desires for us not to fear man, but to fear Him. When we fear man rather than trusting God, we never bring glory to Him. Not only do we never bring glory to Him, but when we fear man rather than trust God, we will never be truly satisfied. Only God, not man, are able to meet our needs. We may have temporal satisfaction, temporal happiness, but there is nothing that will last. There's nothing eternal. There's no true joy outside of that of, of, of a relationship with Christ, of trusting Him when everything goes away, when, when all of our circumstances look dim. So we'll never bring glory to God. We'll never be truly satisfied. But when we fear man rather than trust God, we will compromise truth. We will compromise the truth in two ways. In one, in a sense that we don't want to be the odd man out. We don't want to be the only one that, that, that seemingly does things differently. Of the children of Israel, I think, at this point, uh, the children of Israel, remember, they want to be just like everyone else. We see that in 1 Samuel chapter 8, when, or I think it's chapter 8, when they desire to have a king for themselves, to be like the other nations. They don't want to be different, but God has called them to be different. God has set them apart for himself. But they have allowed fear to dictate and to control their circumstance. But in the other sense, we compromise the truth because we feel as though we're, we're missing out on something. Uh, for some reason, we have in our mind that God is withholding good from us. The children of Israel has come to that point. It, it's better for us to go back to Egypt. Uh, there were, this was pointless. There was no use in this. There's something, obviously, God missed something somewhere. We just need to go back. We need to do something different rather than just waiting and trusting in God's perfect timing and his plan and his purpose for them. And then lastly, we see that when we fear man rather than trust God, we will never receive God's best. We may receive his worst. And that's exactly what we'll see here with the children of Israel. So fear, obviously, was a motivation. Uh, the second thing I see here is they had an ungrateful spirit. They were ungrateful for what God had already done for them. Uh, look what it says. Um, in verse, I think it's the first verse, of make us gods who shall go before us, as for this Moses the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. Now, God certainly used Moses to do great things. But was it Moses that brought them out of the land of Egypt? Was it Moses that, 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 that brought them out, that parted the Red Sea, that brought food from heaven, that was pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, that brought water from a rock? It, it, it was God who did those things. He used Moses in a mighty way. 
because Moses had a, a, a spirit of, of, of willingness. He yielded himself to, to be used of God. But, but that, was, that was God who did that. It was God who brought them out of bondage, parted the Red Sea, food from heaven, water from a rock, who, who defeated the Amalekites. Time and time again, God was faithful to his people over and over. But I see nowhere here in these verses of a mention of, of God, of their thankfulness, of what he had already done for them, what he promised that he would do for them if they would just trust him. So we, we see here that of ungratefulness and certainly applying that to us. I, I think if we can be honest with ourselves, there are, are many days when we find ourselves ungrateful. God has been so good to us. So good. The fact that we're even here tonight under the sound of God's word and hearing him speak is, is a privilege in and of itself. Have we, have we took time, taken the time to thank him um, for what he has given us, what he has done, what he has promised, for who he is? So we see fear. I, I see a spirit of unthankfulness. And thirdly, there is self-deception. Um, if you'll look in verses 4 through 6, we see a very sad sight. Uh, they're taking the gold, and they have made this golden calf. They have started to worship it now. It's, it's something that is an idol to them. And, and it said here that these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I can't believe that this is Aaron here speaking to who he's saying. That this, is, this is him. And he goes a step further. He says in the next, or in the uh, verse... Uh, verse 5, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. He'll make a proclamation. Um, he's treating this as though this is Yahweh. And someone, once, someone did say that they may have thought that Yahweh could, could uh, or would dwell in an idol or on an idol. And some would think that in the people, people's minds, uh, the idol was Yahweh. Whatever they were thinking, it was very warped indeed uh, to say that this was the God who brought them out. Um, you know, it's easy to look at this situation and say, well, that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, that is really, that, that is out there. How could someone do that after, after seeing and witnessing, being a part of God's uh, purpose, his plan, seeing great things, miracle after miracle, what God had accomplished in and through them. How could they get to that point? Well, when you have a low view of God, high view of self, you, you'll get there. Uh, when, when it's easy. So many of us, are there's so many distractions that go on on a daily basis in our life. So many things are pulling in our hearts to, 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 to pull in our hearts away from God, to spend that time with him whether it be in prayer, whether it be in His Word. And if we're not careful, we can have golden calves. If we're not careful, we can have idols, not made of gold, maybe not made of, of wood, but anything that takes the place that is hired, that takes the place of God is an idol. 
And it doesn't have to be a thing. It could be a person. It could be a hobby. Something we do. So we see here that they're in a bad situation. Moses knows nothing of this. But God does. God sees, sees it all. And he tells Moses. The next verse in verse 7. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go down for your people who are brought up in the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Uh, he, he goes on and he, and he tells them what is happening. They're worshiping the golden calf. They've made it. They've built one up as an idol. Um, and he is ready to totally destroy them. To wipe them off, start all over again. Uh, he tells Moses that. He, he, he tells them that he's, he's going to consume them. Um, and in verse 10, Now therefore let me alone that I may, my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Now, God could do this and he could be totally justified in doing so. Some people would say, well, how could a, 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 a God, a loving God, show that kind of wrath, that kind of, of, of judgment? But how could a loving, holy God how could he not? If he is truly holy, he must punish that which is not. There would be no holy thing that will dwell with God. And so he's, he's ready to wipe them out. Start all over. And then we see here, Moses intervenes. Moses comes along as an intercessor. And he pleads before the children of Israel. As, as I'm thinking about this, as I'm looking and reading through, my heart really just, I, I'm thinking, how? Man, Moses. Uh, Moses has been with the children of Israel from the very beginning, out of the land of Egypt. He has heard their complaining. He has heard their murmuring. <laughs> he has... He has seen every bad thing to see from the children of Israel. All their bad sides, he has seen it. He has put up with it. And now he's coming to the point where he's coming to their defense. He is interceding on their behalf and begging God not to do so. He, he tells them not to do it because what would the Egyptians think? You just brought them out here in the middle of nowhere just to burn them all up, just to, just to destroy them all? How would that look? God, and, and then he, he does here. He says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Uh, you remember the, the, the promise that you made to them? The, the, their seed would continue? God, you remember? I, he's pleading. It doesn't say it here, but in Deuteronomy chapter 9, it, it talks about the, this whole scene again. And Moses, during this time, it says, spent 40 days and 40 nights on his face pleading for God not to destroy the children of Israel. 40 days, 40 nights, interceding on behalf of those people who did not like him, who hated him, who wanted to destroy him, to kill him. They wanted to stone him in the, just the chapter 17 or 16 when they were uh, faced with no water. He'd come before God and he said, these people are ready to stone me. And now he's interceding on their behalf, pleading. We see that 
God indeed, He relents from what He is going to do. We see that in verse 14. The Lord relented from the disaster that He had spoken of bringing on His people. That does not mean that He agreed with Moses. You know what, Moses? That's, that's a good point. I haven't thought about that. Wow, that's, you know what? That's a good, that's a good point. That's not what it's saying at all. What it's saying is simply that he, he adjusted his, his plans and what he was going to do. Not because of, 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 of he was convinced or, or, or he, he was convinced otherwise in doing so. He just simply diverted and changed his course of action. And then we see in verse 15 and following that Moses left and came back down to where the people were at. And carrying with him were the two tablets that God wrote with his finger, the law. It's very special. Okay? He, he wrote this, and Moses had it. He carried it down. And the Bible says when he got down to the mountain where everyone else was at, he saw all the wickedness that was going on. That was taking place. Okay. In in chapter 32 and in verse 5. When it said. And the people sat down to eat and drink. And rose up to play. When they rose up to play. They weren't playing bingo. Okay. They weren't playing just a crochet. Anything outside. A little badminton. When it says play. It has the idea. In the original. As an immoral axe. There, There is wickedness. Complete. Utterly. Immorality that was happening down there. And Moses came and he is witnessing it. He's now seeing it. He's seeing them worship the golden calf. He's seeing all acts of immorality that you could think, possibly think of, happening down there now. And Moses was furious. If you didn't know it by now, Moses had a bit of an anger issue. He killed an Egyptian with his own hands, okay? This is a bad dude. I, I, you don't want to mess with Moses when he's mad. Okay, he is livid right now. He is so mad. The Bible says that he takes the tablets, and he takes them, and he throws them against the mound down below. And, 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 and they all crack in two and, and bust. And, and, and then he takes, the Bible says, uh, verse 20, and he took the calf they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. So we see here in the anger of Moses, the foot of the mountain, that he smashed the tablets of the law, symbolizing, I believe, the people of breaking the covenant, breaking God's law. And then secondly, he burned the idol and reduced it to powder, spreading it out on the water and demonstrating the, the powerless of the calf idol and God's wrath. And then he's drinking that. He's, he's the drinking symbolizing that of the people that bear the consequences of their sins. They would have to bear it. And then he approaches Aaron. He approaches the one who was supposed to be in charge down below, making sure everything is going well. And I can only imagine that this time what Aaron is thinking as he sees Moses approaching. I mean, what in the world could be going on in his mind? I mean, what had already gone on in his mind to get to that point? 
And now he sees Moses coming off the mountain. I, I don't know. Maybe he was a little, little scared, a little frightened. I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But he said, And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. (laughs) Aaron says, hey, you know the people. You know how they are, Moses. You've dealt with them. They grumble. They complain. They're just never happy. You know how they are. Making excuses. Don't want to take responsibility. And then he says, For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this, Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what was become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire. And out came this calf. Wow. So, so Aaron is just saying, look, I, I don't know. I just told everyone to bring gold because, you know, we could use that as, a, as an offering or something, you know. We could, we, and, and, and I just took it and I threw it in the fire. And Moses, you'll never believe, but there was a cow that just came out. He just popped right out. Now, we can look at that and say, well, that is a sorry excuse. Who in the world would believe that? But I wonder, as as crazy as an excuse that is, how crazy are our excuses to God? How crazy that must be to God when he hears our excuses because we don't do things, because we're not living the way God has called us to live because of our lack of faithfulness or you can fill in the blank, whatever it may be. It's been said before that you become like what you worship. Are we becoming more like this culture, the world around us that, are, that is with enemies of God? Or are we becoming more and more of the image of Him, of the image of God that is, that is pleasing to Him and to His sight? What would you say define who you are? Where do you find your worth? It's a very important question. Because how you live your life hangs on the simple, hangs on that simple question. Is our worth, our value found in God and God alone? Or is it wrapped up in the things of this world? Is it wrapped up in our flesh? Is it wrapped up in... Uh, uh, the things of this world or, or, or Satan who would love to destroy us who the Bible says walks around seeking whom he may devour we have enemies out there that want to destroy us but Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 we wrestle not against flesh and blood but uh, we, we, we battle the spiritual darkness the things that we cannot see that's out there that belongs to destroy to divert our attention to distract our mind away from from Christ. So we see here that his excuse, and and, and the next verse here, I I don't know what Moses' response would have been. I really would love to have known. 
um, but we don't have it here in Scripture. Uh, he just goes because he is, I think he sees probably in the corner of his eye the children of Israel leaving. And because it says here in 25, and when Moses saw the people had broken loose, for Aaron had left them break loose for the derision of the enemies, um, it has the idea of the shame of the enemies. Uh, people outside the camp were seeing what the children of Israel were doing. It was not a reflection of who God was, of his people. And so Moses, seeing this, runs to the gates and he says, Who is on the Lord's side? Just in that alone fascinates me. Because he could have said, Okay, just go on. I mean, okay, you know what? You deserve what you're going to get. He opens up an opportunity for repentance. He opens up an opportunity. Okay, who is on the Lord's side? And well, those who wanted to repent did. But those who didn't, the Bible says in the next few verses here that they gathered together the Levites. They went out and there were 3,000 men that died that day by the sword. We can choose our sin, but we can't choose the consequences of our sins. And this is exactly where the children of Israel are at. We see here that Moses, on the next day, said to the people, um, you have sinned great, great sins, this is in verse 30, and now we'll go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make an atonement for your sins. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sins, but if not, please blot me out of your book that are written. This, this blows my mind that Moses would say this. To go as far as to say, look, take my life. Blot me out of your book. I, blot me out of, out of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you do, save these people. Forgive them. It reminds me, is, is it ring a bell? Does it remind you of another one in the New Testament? In Romans chapter 9, what Paul said about his people, the Jews. In Romans 9, he says this in verse 2. And I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Uh, Paul says, I wish myself accursed. I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think I could say that. That's strong language. Strong to say, to come to a point that I'd rather myself, I, I, God, send me to hell. I'll go to hell if you'll save my brothers in Christ. This was not even relations, okay? They weren't even related to him by blood. These are just his people, the Jewish people. And now this is Moses saying, God, blot me out. I don't want to have any part. Just, just save your people. Forgive them for what they have done. And so, uh, God went on and he went on to say that whoever uh, whoever has sinned against me, I'll blot out of my books. And, and uh, he finishes the chapter there and, uh, and, and delivering a, a plague to the people that were there, consequences for their sin. Um, if you haven't picked up on it already, 
there's a beautiful picture of the gospel that's here in these, this chapter. A beautiful picture because each and every one of us is just like the children of Israel. If we had, would have been there, we would have been jumping up and down, worshiping that golden calf just like them. Every single one of us. <laughs> We're in need of a Savior. We're in need of forgiveness. Someone to intercede on our behalf like Moses did for the children of Israel. And that's exactly what Christ did for us. We were wicked. We were undeserving of God's wrath. Or we were deserving of God's wrath, undeserving of His grace, of His love, of His mercy. But He sent Jesus for us to die on the cross for our sins, who knew no sin, that we may be made righteous. That when God sees us, that He doesn't see Matt Stanley, the wretched sinner who deserves hell. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And that's exactly what Christ did on our behalf. And what a beautiful picture of it here and, and how Moses intercedes on the people of Israel who, who certainly did not deserve it. So I want to, in closing tonight, just encourages all, myself including, that in situations go awry, in situations we don't understand or we can't see the outcome, that we would wait on God. Because, like I said in the beginning, He, he knows what's best, and He wants what's best for His children if they all would but just wait on Him. Trust His goodness. Trust His faithfulness. Because he has never let us down. He never will. He knows. He, he, he knows the future. He knows what's going to happen and what's going to take place. Psalm 40, verse 1, says this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction. Out of the pit of the miry bog. And set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song to praise to our Lord. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Only if this would have been the prayer of the children of Israel, what heartache they could have escaped and what blessing they could have enjoyed. And it is our prayer, my prayer tonight, that we would enjoy the blessing of God. That it wouldn't be said of us that we went lacking because we did not wait on Him. And for His goodness, for His timing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word.